God told me so. If you've been around Christians for any length of time, that's probably a phrase that you have heard or maybe even a phrase that has come out of your mouth. Uh, maybe somebody said it to you or maybe they said a, a different kind of version of that phrase, you know. You know, God told me to break up with you. I think God's leading me to leave this church. God told me to tell you this or, you know, God really told me that I should probably take this job instead of that one. Problem is that sometimes we can use that phrase as almost an argument ender. So I'm going to say, well, God told me, so that means you can't disagree with me. This conversation's done now. I mean, who are you to argue with God? But how do we really know that God did tell you that? Or how are we supposed to figure this out? Because we need to be able to find out, well, did God really say that? What has God said? And so this is what John is talking about when we begin this passage in 1 John 4, where we've been kind of going through the book. And he begins it in talking about testing the spirits. And when he's talking about testing the spirits, what he gives us is, well, how do you test the spirits? And really what he means isn't he's not talking about demons and angels, but I think he's primarily talking about, well, how do we know whether someone is really speaking through the Holy Spirit? Or how do we know that someone really is saying something from God? And what actually is from God? How do we determine this? And so that's what we're going to look at this morning as we kind of walk through um, 1 John chapter 4. We're going to ask a couple of questions. Um, first is, you know, well, what is from God? Second, we'll ask, well, what is true love? And then the last question kind of is, well, what if we get it right? Or kind of, so what? What difference does that make? And so if you can, can go ahead, turn in your Bibles to 1 John chapter 4, um, and go ahead and stand if you're able as we read from God's Word. We'll read through the whole chapter as is our habit, um, because there's so much in every chapter that we just aren't able to hit everything, and it is worth hearing all of it at least once. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world, and by this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and is now in the world already. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world, therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. And whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not know God does not know, does not love, does not know God, because God is love. And in this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. And in this is love, not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. So no one has seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and His love is perfected in us. For this we know, that we abide in Him and He in us, because He has given us of His Spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in Him and He in God. So we have come to know and to believe that the love that God has for us, for God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in Him. By this is love perfected in us, so we have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as He is, so also we are we in this world. There is no fear in love, for perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. 
We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he cannot, or whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. And this is the commandment we have for him. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. The grass withers and the flower fades, but God's word stands forever. Let's pray. Lord, I just ask that you would be here this morning. Um, Lord, would you allow us to hear and understand and apply your word? Lord, would anything that's just from me and not from your word go in one ear and out the other and be forgotten before people leave this room? Uh, would we leave having had an encounter with you and with your word and what it is that you have to teach us? And I pray this in your holy and precious name. Amen. You can be seated. So point number one, if you want to take notes from your bulletin, is that God's word today is the same as God's word yesterday. Um, God's word today is the same as God's word yesterday. This is kind of a guiding principle when it comes to testing the spirits or trying to figure out, well, did God say this today? It's, well, let's look back. What did he say yesterday? And this is significant because there's many false prophets who claim to speak for God. Many people who claim to say God's words or to say things from God. Verse 1, for many false prophets have gone out into the world. Now it's good for us to ask, well, what is a false prophet? Most people don't call themselves prophets. There are some who do, but most don't. We don't put it on our business card and say, hey, I'm a prophet from God, so listen to me. But what John has in mind is not those kind of people who would claim to be prophets, but for those who would claim to say, hey, this is from God. You need to listen to me. God has told me this. Because this is kind of at the core of what it means to be a biblical prophet. The biblical prophets would stand and say, Thus saith the Lord. God says this. Here's what God has for you, people. Listen and repent. God told me. So there's a smaller sense, a much smaller sense, that when we claim to say, Hey, God told me this, or you should listen to what God says here, that we are behaving in a similar way to that the prophets did. And just because someone says, hey, God said, doesn't mean that God has actually said anything. This is why John warns us in verse 1 that we have to, beloved, don't believe every spirit. Test the spirits to see if they're from God. I can almost hear John's kind of exasperated voice. Guys, don't listen to everything you hear, okay? Just because someone tells you that they're, you know, filled with the Holy Spirit and tell you to do this, don't, don't believe it. Test it. Examine it. Be like the Bereans. And so we're called to, verse 1, test the spirits. See if they are from God. If someone says, hey, God told me, that's not the end of a conversation. That's the beginning of one. And this test is significant. It implies two things that are very obvious, but they're important to state, so we will. It's possible to actually speak for God. That's the first thing. Okay, it is possible that God could tell you something and reveal it to you, and maybe even the Spirit of God speaks to you and tells you to tell somebody else something. That is possible. If it wasn't possible, there wouldn't be a test. He would just say, hey, ignore it. If someone says they're speaking from God, don't listen to them because that's impossible. That's not how it works anymore. But it does mean it means to be tested. So the possibility exists on one hand, yes, God, that could be God's voice, but also it could not be God's voice. So that's why we have to figure this out. And John doesn't just say, don't believe anyone. He says to test it. It's possible, but there are also false prophets. It's also possible somebody could just be wrong. Maybe they're not a false prophet. Maybe they're just not very good at listening to God's voice. Maybe they're deceived. Or maybe they're just wrong. Either way, we have to test the spirits. And one of the lies and one of the ways that especially a false prophet speak today is it echoes the serpent in the garden and what he said to Adam and Eve in that question. Well, did God really 
say. Did God really say that you can't eat of this fruit? Look how good that it is. Did God really say that, you know, life begins in the womb and abortion's wrong? Man, did God really set forth guidelines for marriage and sexuality between a man and a woman? Did God really say that the Bible is His Word and it still matters today and we still have to listen to it and care about it? We get in, the world asks these questions, or they claim to know better. And so our response should be, well, did God say that? We should say, wait, I don't know, let's go find out. Let's go check His Word. Let's go see what God actually said. Let's test it. Let's test the Spirit. Let's test this question. Let's see if this really does come from God. But how do we test this? Well, we test it by comparing what you think God has said today by what we know God has said yesterday. Because God's Word is the same today as it was in the past. God will not say anything new today that disagrees with what He said before. God will not contradict Himself. We might understand more than maybe we understood before, but if we look and we compare, it is always going to match up. And so if God seems to say something today, we need to check and see. And if it disagrees with what he said before, we know, well, that must not be from God. And if it lines up, then we can at least go, well, maybe this is. So how do we test it? The first place to test it, John gives us, is Jesus. And verse 2, by this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. Again, some take this a little wild and use it to kind of say, well, this is how you can test demons or angels or spirits and kind of things like that. I don't think it's just saying, hey, spiritual being, you know, did Jesus come in the flesh? Is he Lord? And he goes, yes. You go, okay, well, it must be from God. Guess I have to listen to whatever this thing is that's talking to me. It's also not just saying, hey, person, do you believe in Jesus? Do you think he really came down in flesh? And they say yes and go, okay, well, apparently now everything you say is from the Spirit, so I have to listen to you. That is not what I think John is doing. But what he is saying is, hey, does the Spirit confess Jesus? Is it saying the same things that Jesus said? Do they believe, or they, is it confessing the same Jesus that we know that Jesus is? Does it believe that Jesus really is God? That Jesus really did come down and take on human flesh and was born of a virgin? Because if they deny that, then right out the gate you can ignore whatever else comes because, well, we're not even talking about the same Jesus, so I don't know what God you're confessing. I don't have to listen. But this also is a confession about Jesus, right? So does this new word contradict something that Jesus said? Does it claim something about Jesus that we know to be untrue? You think of years ago, right? The Da Vinci Code made a big fuss, that fiction book that a lot of people got, you know, real excited about. Tend to not hear about it anymore. At least I haven't. It's kind of funny how those things work. Um, but, you know, it's, it's a fiction book. If you don't remember, imagine, hey, well, what if Jesus got married? And what if Jesus had kids? And the church tried to cover it up, kind of blah, blah, blah. Well, what we can do, anytime we hear anything like that especially, is just go, well, let's compare it. Let's go back to God's Word. How does that match up? Does that contradict anything? Would that change anything significant that we know to be true? So we compare that. But we know with Jesus is the confession of Jesus. Jesus is also the full revelation of God. Okay, when Jesus was walking with the two row, men on the road to Emmaus after his resurrection, says something really important. He walked through the whole scriptures from beginning and end and showed how every single thing in there pointed towards himself. How this whole book is really ultimately about Jesus. So one of the things that we do too, second way that we test the spirits is we go to scripture. Well, what has God already said about this? Are you trying to tell me something that God's already spoken about clearly? Well, let me go see what I know that he said, and then let's check what you're saying now. Is there something in your statement that contradicts Scripture? 
Because God is not going to tell you to do something that His Word tells you very clearly you should not do. That's a pretty easy way to determine, no, that must not be from the Spirit of God. Think about plenty of examples of, you know, one example is, you know, a man coming to a pastor and telling him, you know, pastor, God is telling me that I need to leave my wife and have an affair. Because, you know, we just kind of been growing apart and she's just, you know, nagging a lot. And I just really feel like God is leading me to have this affair because God loves me and wants what's best for me. So that's what I'm going to do. Okay, well, you can go, well, let's, let's check because God speaks about divorce. God speaks very clearly about sexual relationships and marriage, kind of how that should work. Well, what does God say? God gives some biblical grounds for divorce. Does that match up? Well, let's look at God's word. Nope, that doesn't match up. So I can tell you very clearly, sir, that is not what God is telling you to do. That's just an example. There are plenty of things like that. People say things like this all the time. God is leading me to do this. And if we go and look at his word, we can, in those instances, say, no, I don't know what that is, but that's not God. Because God's word today is not different than what his word was yesterday. Any whisper telling you something contrary to God's word is not from God. That's from someplace else. The third place we go to to test the spirits is kind of the apostolic tradition. Verse 6, we are from God. This is John speaking of himself and I think the apostles saying, whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God doesn't listen to us. And by this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. There's a lot to unpack here. And one of the things John is doing is he is speaking in his authority as an apostle appointed by Jesus to be over the church. What it means, it also means too, he understands and the apostles understood when they were writing these letters, they knew when they were writing scripture. They knew when they were writing from the word of God. And he says that those who refuse to submit to the authority of scriptures and refuse to submit to the authority of the apostles cannot speak for God. Now this kind of offends us today too, right? Isn't that so tyrannical? What about democracy, John? Don't we get to just vote and decide if you speak for God or not? Well, no, that's not how it is. Jesus spoke. Jesus spoke when he appointed the apostles, when he spoke in his word, and that's it. We, you and I don't get a vote on whether or not we want to agree with what Jesus said. And nothing that, John, that God says now will ever contradict what he told the apostles in his word or, the, or that. And what I mean when I say... What I mean when I say we can trust and should listen to the apostolic tradition, I kind of mean church tradition. But when I say that, we've got to kind of unpack what that means, right? Because church tradition doesn't just mean like what we've always done here at Tanglewood. Okay, that's not necessarily inspired by God. Okay, I mean universal church tradition. Okay, the church everywhere... The universal church expressed in local church. Now, if you've come out of a Catholic background, you might already be a little nervous by my statements and kind of what I'm saying. And tradition is something you've got to be careful with, right? Because we can go way off. Because all of us know the church has got plenty wrong. Not just local churches, universal churches have got plenty wrong. In every country throughout all of history, right? You can see it just in Paul's letter to the churches, that it didn't take very long for the churches to get things wrong, to go way off track. You can see that in history, in the Crusades, and popes, and all the wars over books of common prayer and different things. You can see it over the church's response to slavery and civil rights, and all, all, all it, it goes on and on. But it's interesting, even if you go back to the Reformation, okay, of Luther and Calvin and Zwingli and others who were standing against the Catholic Church saying, you guys have elevated tradition too much. They didn't just appeal to Scripture, they also appealed to the Apostles' tradition. And they said, guys, we're, we actually have gotten off track from what the church has always believed and always taught. Now, so this is 
a good way to test the spirits as well. Again, this is not the only way that we do it. It is not even the most important way that we do it. But it is one of many tools that we can use to test the spirits. If we can ask questions like, okay, you're saying this. Now we've checked scripture. It doesn't seem like it contradicts anything. doesn't seem like it goes against anything that God said. It matches with Jesus. You're confessing Jesus. And then we can go to, well, is this new? Has the church believed this before? Has the church always believed this? And now you're saying something different than what we know Christians have believed since the very beginning? Has the church talked about this before? Now these are just, it's another tool in your toolbox. I'm not trying to elevate tradition over scripture or anything else. It is just another way that we can test the spirits. Fourth and final way to test whether it really is from God is really in community too. No single one of us has unique access to God. Right? Even when I became a pastor and was called here, when the elders became elders, that didn't give them special spiritual power that no one else has. That now we are able to talk to God and you aren't. We know way more than you do. That's not really how that works. Right? We've all been baptized. If you're a believer, we've all been baptized and sealed with the Holy Spirit. All of us have access to God. He lives in our heart, or the Holy Spirit is in our hearts and can speak to us. That means he can speak, if He can speak to all of us, then we should depend on each other when we're trying to figure out if He's spoken to me or not. It shouldn't just be between me and God and that's it. Especially if I'm unsure. I think God's leading me to do this. Well, why don't I go ask other believers who I know God can also speak to and see if maybe it sounds like it's from God or maybe I'm just making it up. It's one of the reasons that I'm really thankful and believe strongly in having multiple elders. It's reassuring because if we pray together, if we're all seeking God's face on the same decision, then hopefully God will speak in the same way to all of us. Okay, if God's leading me somewhere and I think, hey, this is what I think our church should really do, he is certainly powerful enough to tell all of the other elders that that's what he wants to do too. And if he doesn't, well, then maybe it's not really from God. Now again, that's not universal, it's not democracy, we're not taking votes like that, but because you can think of the spies going into the promised land. Ten of them voted no, said God doesn't want us to do this. I think this is wrong. And two of them said, no, guys, look at his promises. This is clearly from God. So sure, there are times when the minority is right and other people are being disobedient, but that's less likely. Most of the time, I think if we use all of these, and especially our listening in community, it can really help us determine, well, is this really from God or not? So if you feel God speaking to you, or if someone's claiming to speak for God, which he does, compare it to Jesus, compare it to his scriptures, compare it to what church tradition, to what we have always believed. Ask other people. Ask other believers. And we can do this together. And the problem can come with some of these smaller things, right? Some big things, it's obvious, especially where scripture is clear, it's easy to know, yes or no. But other things, it can be less clear. Does God want me to take this job or this one? Where does God want me to move? What church does God want me to go to? All these different things can be harder to find out. And our answer at the end of even all of those might just be, well, maybe, I don't know. Maybe it's God's voice, maybe it's not. And a professor at DTS, Dr. Hannah, who I loved, he would just kind of say, well, I determine God's voice in those moments by the outcome. So I just, I do my best, make the decision, and if it turns out horribly, then I know, well, that wasn't from God, that must have been me. And if it turns out really well, and I go, well, that must have been God, because I'm not smart enough to have gotten there on my own. Which I think, I love his kind of humility in that, of just being willing to admit, you know what, I'm going to do my best, so there's times I might get it wrong. 
For myself, what I often pray is when, I'm, when I come to those moments and I'm still even unsure, I just say, God, this is what I think you are doing. I, I'm being as wise as I can and checking your word and listening to others. And so here's what I'm going to do. If I'm wrong, please stop me now because this is where I'm going. I would love for you to just slam the door in my face, wake me up to the mic, do whatever you're going to do to tell me, but here's where I'm going. And if you want to shut the door, then, then please do it. I, I think that's a, a good way when you're unsure to do it. Now, one of the ways, too, that many of these spirits or people who speak to God today isn't just from trying to claim His Word is different, right? And we have to remember God's Word today is the same as it was yesterday. But one of the things the spirits will appeal to is to love, right? And they'll say all sorts of things about love and what love means. And the theme of this letter and kind of our series has been love one another. But what does love mean? What even is that when we say that? Well, point number two, if you're taking notes, is we should define love by Jesus. Point number two is Jesus embodies what true love is. Jesus embodies what true love is. You will say things today like, well, you know, God is love, so therefore I can do this. Well, God just really loves me and wants me to be happy. Or just love is love. And so we should define everything by love. Or if you really loved one another, if you really loved me, then you would support me and you would let me do this. You would agree with me in this way. But all those kind of statements are really unhelpful unless we define what in the world do we mean when we say love. What do you mean when you say God is love? Because we don't explain it. We're just going to talk past each other and we're not going to have a good conversation. John, once again, this is the, the fourth time he, he's done it in every single chapter. He commands us to love one another. In verse 7, Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God, and anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. We sang this verse this morning, if it doesn't sound familiar enough to you. So God very much is love. Wednesday nights we've been talking about the attributes of God and going through them. We talk about self-sufficiency, incomprehensibility, his infinity and more. But God also is love. But what does it mean that he is that? Part of what this means is that when we talk about love, we want to define it. We have to look at God. And we have to let him and who he is and what he does define what true love really is. So it also means if God is love, then everything that God does is also a loving action. Everything God does in the Old Testament is consistent with a God who is love. Everything. His creation, His kindness and His choosing of, of Abraham, His elevating women, His using of Israel in a unique and special way. But this also means that His other things that we don't like so much, His judgment, His wrath... His choosing to use Jacob and not Esau, ultimately too, are acts of love. They are not not loving. The God of the Old Testament is not different than the God of the New Testament. They both are love. So how are we to understand this love? Well, we see this through the person of Jesus. He embodies love. Verse 9, in this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent His only Son into the world. This is how God revealed His love to us. That God sent us a picture of love. He didn't just reveal His love through His actions, through the things that He did, and through the way that He moved. He also put love in a human body and let it walk around and show us and reveal to us what love is. And this love comes to us in the person of Jesus. He, he literally embodies it in His flesh. And so why does God do this? The rest of verse 9, that we might live through Him. 
God didn't just send love in the person of Jesus so we could have a template or an example or a definition in our dictionary of, well, what is love? God sent Jesus to us, not to just be an example, but then to actually love us, to actually deliver us and to save us from our sins. Because that is what love does. Verse 10, and this is love, not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and He sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. This is such a rich verse. It again tells us that love is not just revealed in everything that God does or, or made manifest. It's spotlights and big arrows and circle around it. That love is revealed in Jesus. And it's not just that everything that Jesus is and everything that Jesus does reveals his love. But that love is especially revealed at the cross. That love, that true love is not found in Romeo and Juliet or in novels or romantic comedies. That the greatest example of love is found on that hill on Calvary. In between those two crosses where Jesus bled and died. Where he was the propitiation, the sacrifice, the atonement. The one who died for our sins. And who did Jesus die for? And why did he do this? He didn't do it because we loved him so much. Because we begged him to do it. Because we were just so grateful and so full of love for him. And we really needed him to do it. No, not that we have loved God, but he loved us. Jesus died for those who did not love him. Jesus died for the disciples who abandoned him in fear and ran away. Jesus died for those who hated him. Jesus died for the soldiers who murdered him. Jesus died for the crowds who mocked him and spit on him. Jesus died for the person who hasn't set foot in church for decades because of their anger at God. Jesus died for people who do not love him. Not that we have loved God, but He loved us. There's a, a hymn that I love called He, he Rescued Me. Um, it's kind of a, a, re, a rewriting another version of, you know, I've decided to follow Jesus because people love to rewrite songs. You know, if it doesn't line up 100% with their theology, so let me rewrite it and make it fit. Um, I love both songs. That's besides the point, but I love both songs for different reasons. But the, the lyrics of this one kind of start and just, I'm not going to sing it for you. I won't um, bother you with that. But it says, you know, I've never wanted to follow Jesus I never wanted to follow Jesus, but He rescued me. He rescued me. And it reminds me of this, this passage. Jesus died for us not because we loved Him, but because He loves us. He, he rescues the unloving. He rescues His haters from their sins. And verse 11, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Because if Jesus embodies this true love... If he shows it, if he embodied it, we should also embody Jesus. We call ourselves Christians because we want to be like Jesus. We want to be like Christ. Well, if Christ is true love, then we should also be many versions, little Christs of love for all those around us. The kind of love that made sinners flock to Jesus. The kind of love that made tax collectors and prostitutes and those on the margins and the sick come and want to be around him. And it wasn't because he told them everything they did was amazing. Jesus never affirmed anybody's sins. He told them to stop. And yet, he loved sinners so much they couldn't help but want to be in his presence. What if we 
loved people like that too? What if we loved those in the world so much that those who wanted nothing to do with God still felt drawn to us because we felt loved them? Jesus' love drew even the deepest sinner. What if our love did the same? Kind of, so what? So if we do all of this, we do, you know, we're testing the spirits and we see that, you know, Jesus really is the true definition of, of love and we love one another. Well, how can we, and we're trying to love another well. Well, what do we do? Or, or so what? Point number three, kind of the last section of this passage, is that belief in God's love for us, it leads to confidence and to love for one, love for others. That when we believe that God loves us, it leads to a confidence and to a love for others. Verse 13, by this we know that we abide in him and in us because he has given us his spirit. So that we can know the spirit is inside of us from God by this. I'm going to go ahead and skip to, to verse 16. I think it's the, the heart of this last section. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. For God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in him, and God abides in him. Again, that first part of that, we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. There's a lot in that small sentence. It's easy to skip over as you, get, you maybe get tripped up or distracted by all of these abiding here and abiding there. But what, this is what John means at least in part when I think he's talking about abiding in God, that he's harped on almost every single chapter. It is rooted in believing that Jesus and that God loves you. It is believing that when he says God is love, it is not just an abstract idea that philosophers talk about. It is also that God loves you. You individually. And some of us have no problem believing that God loves others. Some of us might have no problem even saying or believing, well, God loves the world or God loves you. We could say that to other people, but we might have a problem understanding or believing that God really loves me. For many, I think this is what keeps them ultimately from becoming Christians or becoming believers is they really doubt that God does or could love them. But God loves you. If you ever doubt that, you can look at the cross. You can look at Jesus. You can look at what Jesus did for you. He died for you. He gave his life and he spilled his blood to save you from your sins. He paid the debt that you could never pay because he loves you. He offers eternal life to you because he loves you. He ransomed you from sin and from death and defeated death on the cross and on that tomb because he loves you. He sent the Holy Spirit to live in your heart because he loves you. He sent the Bible and His Word so we can read His words anytime we want to know, well, what has God said? We can open it up and look at 66 of these books because God loves you. He wants you to pray and to talk to Him because He loves you. Jesus right now is standing at the throne of God, interceding and advocating on our behalf because He loves you. Do you really believe that God loves you. We have come to know and to believe that God has love for us. That know and to believe can be different things. Sometimes we can know something intellectually but not really believe it deep down in our hearts. 
We can accept intellectually the idea that God loves me, but maybe I don't really feel it. But if you do, and if you can, if you come to know and to believe the love that God has for you, which none of us can barely comprehend, we can only look to the cross and see all that Jesus has done. But if you believe that God has really loved you, it will lead to supernatural confidence. This is one of the gifts of love, even human love. The speaking is it builds us up, doesn't it? When somebody showers you or gives you a kind of big act of love that amazes you, how does that make you feel? Doesn't it just lift up your spirits or encourage you or put wind in your sails? Right? Because all of us like to be loved. Nobody doesn't really like to be loved. None of us, we got to choose between being really loved or being really hated. Almost all of us are going to choose to be loved. Unless we have, you know, some issues we need to work out. This is one of the things I, I think even just as a, a pastor has helped me kind of grow in my confidence is just the way that you guys have loved me. But, but when I first came here, taking a big risk, choosing, you know, me to come be your pastor. And yet, what did you, you just showered me with love and were so loving and encouraging. It made me feel like, hey, maybe I can be a pastor. This is one of the, it's the same way that any of us feel any time that we are loved by other people. In verse 17, and by this love is perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. God's love gives us confidence and that love helps us to not have, have fear. Verse 18, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out all fear. For fear has to do with punishment and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. So being filled with the love of God gives us supernatural confidence. But we need to look on the context here. Now, I might step on a couple toes. And if I step on your toe here in a minute, I ask you to go look at the text, test the Spirit, see if that really was from God or not. This is a popular verse, right? This idea, perfect love casts out all fear. It's one that I, I see used or kind of misused and misquoted all the time. We do like we do with many things. We, we rip Bible verses out of their context and out of what they mean. And we slap it on a pillow and then we just kind of apply it to however we need to so that I can win an argument. Okay, that's often what we do. It's called proof texting. I'm just going to throw Bible verses at you till you quit. Whether or not they actually agree with me or not is unimportant. Now what this verse does not mean is I don't think, if you look at the context, that it means if we're so filled with God's love that we shouldn't have any fear about anything ever. I don't think that's what this means. I had one coach who would uh, kind of say this to us, right? If anyone was ever afraid of anything or didn't want to do something that he was kind of crazy calling us to do, he'd say, well, okay, perfect love casts out fear. So the fact that you're afraid right now means you don't really believe that God's love you. Because if you really did, you wouldn't be afraid of this. Okay, it's not really, you know, the most encouraging thing. So most of the time when he'd say that, just feel really ashamed because, well, I guess maybe it's true. I'm filled with fear. It says perfect love casts out fear. I don't know how to argue with that, so I'm just going to feel terrible now. Um, you know, just want to say, Coach, I'm just afraid of heights. Like, I just really don't want to climb up that ladder. I don't know what that has to do with God loving me or not, but I just, I, I don't like that. I'm afraid, okay? And say, no, if you really God loved you, you wouldn't be afraid of heights anymore. That's kind of the way people can use this. So now, and back then, my... I just had an answer of silence and shame, but now, man, I do not think that is a good use of this passage. And we still say things like that today. You know, faith over fear, which is, you know, it's, it's okay, but it can just be silly. This verse does not mean if you are filled with the love of God, you don't have to wear a mask. It doesn't mean if you're filled with the love of God that you don't have to have a gun anymore carried around. It doesn't mean if you're filled with the love of God, you shouldn't lock your door at night. Or if you're filled with the love of God, you don't need to wear a seatbelt or take medicine. 
Or if you're really filled with the love of God, you shouldn't be afraid that your child is overseas serving in the military. If you're really filled with the love of God, it doesn't mean that you don't have, that you shouldn't be afraid of the diagnosis that's coming and you don't know what it is. The context of this verse seems to all be about the final judgment. Verse 17, love is perfected in us so that we might have confidence for the day of judgment. And our confidence and our fear, it has to do with the punishment, right? So 18, again, there's no fear in love. Right? For fear has to do with punishment. This again, the punishment coming on the day of judgment. And whoever fears, whoever is afraid of punishment coming has not been perfected by the love of God. When would punishment be coming? Punishment coming on that day of judgment. So I don't think this verse is, is really speaking about fear other than our fear on the day that we will all find ourselves standing before the throne of God. And if we really do feel and know and believe that God loves us, if we do understand that, then our death is nothing to fear. And standing before Jesus on that final day, we should have confidence. We don't have to be afraid. Because if we believe that God's love for us is true, we know His love is much greater than our, fear, than our sin. And I think we don't have to fear judgment. And we can, I, I love this quote from another pastor named Dan Ortland. He says, you know, we can bring our mess to Jesus or our sins because we know exactly how He will receive us. We don't have to be afraid of confessing our sins to Jesus. We don't have to be afraid of, well, how is he going to respond if I talk to him about this horrible thing that I've done? We can know exactly how he is going to respond. Here's the deal. When you find yourself before the throne of God, which all of us will on that day of judgment, one day all of humanity will pass forth before and God will cast some off into eternal death and some into eternal life and, and rewards and punishment will be handed out. When we find ourselves standing in that line, Watching as our number slowly comes up as we all shuffle towards the throne. Imagining this. And we find ourselves finally there at the throne looking up at the wonder of everything going on around us. And Jesus at the throne. And it's our turn for Jesus to speak to us and judge our lives. We don't have to wonder what he will say in the moment. We don't have to be filled with fear. We don't have to wonder, well, how is God really going to receive me? How is he, he going to act? You can know right now he's going to shout with joy over our coming. That looking over all of the sins of our lives, he's not going to rebuke us. He's not going to smack us around. He's not going to wag his finger and shake his head and think, man, you just got in here by the skin of your teeth. I don't know how you did this. He's not going to say, wow, is that the best you could do? Really? You couldn't do any better than that? He's not going to shake his head in disappointment. He's going to smile and look at us with love. Not because we're so amazing, but because he loves us. It's not because we love him, but because he loves us. So we can have no fear at that terrible day because Jesus' love pushes away all fear. When we, so when we think of our, our dying day, which will come for all of us, see, we have no idea when. We don't have to fear what Jesus will say in the moment that we pass from consciousness into eternity. If we know and we believe that Jesus and God loves us, we can have supernatural confidence in that day that he will receive us with love. So a song we'll sing here in a, in a moment called, you know, we're no longer slaves of fear. It reminds ourselves that now we, I am a child of God. 
and what it means to be adopted as a child of God is we don't have to be afraid what's going to happen because we're going to go to our eternal Father. And He's a good Father. He's a Father who will not cast off His children. He won't abandon us. He won't disown us. He won't kick us to the curb. We can have confidence when we see Him. And as a result of that incredible love, how should we respond in the moment today? If, if you really in your heart this morning are, are buoyed and, and feel the love of God, what should that lead you to do when you walk out of these doors? Well, it should lead us to loving others, not just confidence. Verse 19, we love because He first loved us. We love other people because God has loved us and that love just has to come out of us and go somewhere. Verse 20, if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother or sister, he is a liar. Whoever doesn't love his brother when he cannot can see, cannot love God whom he hasn't seen. So being loved and feeling love for God, it flows out in us loving one another. If we aren't loving one another, then it means we probably don't on some level really believe or feel that God loves us as well. This is the gospel, and if the grace of Jesus is true, and if it is deep in our bones, and if we are abiding in the love that God has for us, then in that moment somebody cuts us off in traffic, our response will not be one of annoyance, but our response will be one of love. If we truly deeply believe that God loves us and we are abiding in that love and we truly understand that when someone who is rude to us, we will respond in love. If we recognize the grandeur of God's love for us and how he loves me even when I didn't love him, then when someone says something really dumb that I hate, my response will not be one of annoyance and telling them how dumb they are, but it will be one of love instead of anger. Man, what if this was true of us? What if we really did believe that God loved us? That if we knew and believed it? And does that love really flow out of us? Because true love for others, if we really believe in God's love for us, it can lead to confidence at that final day and it will come out in how we love other people. It can't come from any other spirit. It can't come from any other philosophy. It can't come from anything other than from the God who is love. And who loved us. So kind of in, in summary today. Right? Number one is God's word today is the same as his word yesterday. Two is Jesus embodies what true love is. And, and three is that belief in God's love for us. It leads to confidence and to love from others. So how do we know what really is from God? Well, it comes from God's word. It matches his word. It matches his love. And it will lead to loving others and to confidence on that final day. I hope that you believe that God really loves you. If you do not, if you do not, if even in hearing and, and being reminded of the gospel, or maybe your eyes are open for the first time, I invite you to come and place yourself at the feet of Jesus because His love is available to any who would come. I'm not going to ask you to come to the altar or lead you even in a prayer, but you, that can be between you and God. But I'd also, you can come talk to me, talk to one of the other elders who would love to lead, lead you to Jesus and to tell you more about how much he loves you. I invite our worship team to come up as I close this in prayer. God, I just thank you for your love for us. Lord, is it amazing and incredible that you love those who didn't love you? God, I ask you, would you help us to know and to really believe that? 
Lord, would you help us to, to believe deep down in our bones and to abide in the love that you have for us? And would that love come out of us? Or will we show that love to everyone that we see? Lord, would you help us to listen to your voice? Would we not be distracted by the voices of the world or our sinful hearts or anything else that would distract and try and pull us away from you and your word? Would we stay rooted in you? Would we stay rooted in your love? And will we love others as you have loved us? We pray this in your holy and precious name. Amen. Why don't you stand as we sing one more time to our Savior. Amen. Um, before the, I read the benediction, just one quick announcement. Um, our, the elders had met and have uh, Rob Gervin has officially um, accepted the position as family pastor um, on the recommendation of our search team and our elders. Um, so thank you so much um, for your prayers and for us um, and your encouragement in that. So if you can be praying for his, him and his family, Hannah and Kate, as they kind of make their transition here, they're going to be here hopefully sometime this week trying to find housing. Um, so just be thinking of them and lifting them up. Um, so thank you so much for that. And our benediction is from the end of 2 Corinthians. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Go in peace.